This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 541 for January 11th, 2017. Howdy ho, folks, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. Joining me is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Howdy ho, Glenn. Hey, partner, <laughs> how's it going? What's going down at the old Mac Rodeo? About to rustle up some podcasts. Oh, as we discovered on a recent episode of the Incomparable Game Show, if you mention prospectors or the West, Gold. all that happens, accents burst out all over, <laughs> my quickie. Oh, uh, well. Uh, so we got a little follow-up, but uh, the big news this week is Consumer Reports battery testing. We'll get to that in a minute with more chuckling. Um, but I want to do a little <laughs> bit of follow-up. Uh, for, first, uh, actually, follow-forward is uh, next week, Susie will be out on vacation. Yay, Susie, vacation. Hooray for you. And um, I'll have – I'll be here. I don't it's go been anywhere. so be long here. since we've oh, taken any gosh. work breaks. It's true. So, uh, But I'll be here with Jonathan Zajarski, who is a security expert, the maker of Little Flocker, a uh, – of anti-ransomware and anti-malicious file writing destroying software. And Jonathan's a security expert, many years standing, and he will be talking with me about a lot of stuff to do with privacy and security, things that you can do that don't impair your computing experience, your iOS experience, but let you have a more secure and private lifestyle, especially strangely appropriate these days with the global everything the way it is, not just in any one country, not to mention any names. Uh, so if you have questions, you can send email to podcast at macworld.com and Susie will forward those to me. You can find me on Twitter at G-L-E-N-N-F, like Frank. And uh, we'll try to get to security questions, uh, but otherwise we'll uh, – or facebook.com slash Macworld. You can post uh, questions on the podcast post there or whatever. So we'll find – tell get to us. Let us know. Um, but we'll cover a bunch of stuff next week. Um, Susie, I had a tiny bit of follow-up for uh, last week's episode. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I got email because I had made a joke about eBay – uh, this actually ties into the uh, Altaba news that we'll talk about later. Because uh, every company, every .com is apparently renaming itself or has renamed itself. So uh, I made it's a joke about eBay trend. originally being the Ebola network. And someone said, no, that's really, it was really his Echo Bay. And he couldn't get Echo Bay, so he got eBay. And I'm like, there are competing stories. And one of the narratives is that um, that Omidyar was uh, the founder, was very, very concerned about Ebola. And uh, if you went to the eBay.com homepage initially, you were presented with information about Ebola, and you had to click through a couple pages to get to the auction site. <laughs> the auction site had its own URL. So he brought in an outside uh, uh, CEO or something, and they immediately like, okay, we got to get rid of this Ebola stuff. So <laughs> You're freaking a, everyone out. <laughs> so some people, there are some reports that indicate it's e Ebola Bay Area was what it was about. Oh. Echo, Bay, Echo Bay is also legitimate, but let me tell you. So creation myths about companies. Yeah, Jeff, we talked about this. Jeff Bezos, like all the the origins of most dot coms and many companies are hagiographies hey that get you know uh, settled by PR people later. So there yeah. are conflicting stories. And if you went to the original eBay dot com site, you would see Ebola information front and center. Uh, unless you went to the auction web sub site, and they later changed it from auction web just to eBay. Because there you go. That's that follow-up. So, you know, the, so the person complaining was actually correct and incorrect at the same time because the nature of information is now – there is no truth anymore, Susie. Or so on Jeopardy, era. would they have given you the money either way? This this auction site was founded because of the, the, the founder's concern about Ebola. Uh, what is Facebook? All right. So the other, <laughs> the other follow-up <laughs> – sorry. I know it's really on topic. Uh, CES is more on topic, and uh, you were part of the home team 
at uh, IDG for covering, uh, we had folks there wandering the floors of the massive number of buildings and hotels and suites. Um, and uh, some of the word out of um, CES this year is Apple never has a, they don't exhibit there. There's often Apple employees go or there's Apple related products. This year, the word that I heard was there was maybe even less Apple relevant stuff, like as directly relevant um, than in years past. What's, what's your take on what came out of um, anything to watch coming out of CES? Um, well, so we were kind of trying to keep an eye out for anything really Macworld-ish. We saw a lot of docs for Thunderbolt, um, Thunderbolt 3 docs for MacBook Pro and MacBook um, to add all the ports that Apple took away. But that's not, you know, super exciting. And then um, it's always a big smart home show. So we expected to see more home kit announcements than we did. I mean, we did see some announcements, but there wasn't anything where I was like, oh my gosh, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I can't wait. But there are some things that we're going to be calling in and testing, um, you know, if and when they ship. Um, and then, but the, the, the trend in smart home was that Alexa was in everything because mm-hmm. Amazon has, you know, a program for hardware partners to build Alexa and a Google home is going to, I mean, Google's doing this with Google assistant as well, but that's, you know, just getting off the ground. Now we're starting to see all the Alexa products. So Alexa was literally in everything. And now you're going to start to see, you know, reaction pieces um, that are like, okay, this is just making Apple look even more behind because Siri's in a few things. I mean, it's in AirPods, it's in your watch. So if you want to have Siri with you all the time, you don't really need speakers everywhere in your house. You can just start talking to your, your headphones and your watch. But, you know, still behind with the third party integrations and, you know, just knowing what, you know, what you're talking about, <laughs> I think is a, a big lag. So, so yeah, the, the, the AI was really big at CES this year, and that's going to continue to be a story um, going forward. And then we also had a slideshow of uh, cool earbuds because the little wireless earbuds that are, you know, kind of like the AirPods are uh, also starting to ship in mass. So um, Sarah Jacobson Purewall found a, a bunch of really cool ones that we're going to call in and compare to the AirPods as far as like comfort and sound and price. Because when you're thinking about buying the AirPods, if you're just an Apple person and those are you know the ones you're considering, they might seem sort of expensive. But then when you look at the rest of you know the the ecosystem that they fit into, they're really not that bad. And then of course they have a much better tie into iOS. And an even better tie into Apple services if you're, you know, an Apple Music user. But some of the ones Sarah found, I mean, they they look a little bulkier, so I don't know if they'll be comfortable. But they have controls on them, and that's my biggest problem with the AirPods. Although, you know, maybe in a couple mm-hmm. of years, Apple will be able to build in some kind of like gesture where they won't have to have like big stupid buttons, but you'll just be able to kind of like brush up on your your AirPods and control your stuff that way. Because right now, Siri is not tiny cameras. Tiny cameras. Tiny cameras. So you just wave your hand. You just make a gesture. Oh, you know, yeah, thumbs yeah. up, thumbs down. I mean, then your hair rotate. could do it like on a windy day. But yeah, That's oh, true. that thumbs no, up, thumbs hair, down would be kind of funny. They have uh, hair that rejection technology. Hair, hair rejection. rejection. <laughs> exactly. Everyone anyway, will just get short haircuts. Like you're styling the, uh, it wrong. Podcast title: Hair Rejection Technology. Hair rejection technology. That's uh, what I need. That's I, yeah. I, you know, it's funny because um, it, wireless earbuds don't seem like something very interesting to me, but I don't go uh, running or work out at a gym. Like I'm working at, when I'm on a treadmill, I'm in my office. So I take walks and I'll put in, when I take a walk, it's not a big deal or doing other kinds of things. But I think, um, so I'm not the target market. So, oh, so here's what a pundit We're having would do. a moment now because like the, yeah. the, the, 
phones are losing their headphone jacks, so like that's a pain point. And then right. I, I mean, we've Not had the Apple's ones phones. we've had the ones that are like tied together forever, but I've never found a pair of those that I didn't hate. They're always awkward and weird. So, so they're stepping up like the quality and the electronics and the, the style and the design and the battery life and all of those things are finally coming together. And I think this is going to be a year for wireless earbuds. Like those are going to be like the hot gift next Christmas. Let me tell you how a pundit works. Because I don't use it, then there's no reason anyone should <laughs> exactly. ever buy this. Yeah, it's a terrible that's product. Stupid. <laughs> I never use these, so they shouldn't be made at all. Um, I wanted but to now they're a- coming into like our, you know, yeah. our people. Like once Apple does it, it comes into the consciousness of like yeah. people. <laughs> it's so innovative. No one's <laughs> ever like, done this holy before. Crap, that's a, what a great idea. <laughs> but you know, it fits into the Apple thing, which is Apple doesn't want to do stuff until it has a unique twist and yes. a high margin. And until so it's clearly, people are ready, it's it's ready yeah. to like blow up, and they're really good at calling that. So yeah, I think it's ready to blow up. Because they, they, they were at CES last year, too, but I never saw anyone walking around in them. But I think this year is going to be the year. Battery life was probably poorer. And I think there's stuff – I think Bluetooth 5 actually is going to make it better, too. Like yeah. Bluetooth – Bluetooth is still a joke for a lot of people because there's a lot of things that work really erratically, but it's gotten, I mean, it is so much better than it used to be, but I still don't feel the same reliability with Bluetooth, even though it's it's not unreliable. It's more that because it's low power, short range technology, for the most part, it, you can't guarantee the same kind of connection as uh, you would with Wi-Fi or cellular. So it seems less reliable because we don't, we're not sitting there with a tape measure. Oh, I'm 10 feet away. I'm 30 feet away. Now it stopped working. It's but, pretty you know, good. For stuff that's close. Yeah. If you stuff that's close by, I think Apple has a particular problem is that handoff and continuity should work really reliably. And I can have my phone. I know we're on the same Wi-Fi network. I'm two feet away from my computer and sometimes handoff works. It's like a, a air uh, uh, drop. It, it doesn't, Airdrop is much more reliable for me and for a lot of people I know than it was than it has been in um, since uh, El Capitan made it better uh, than previous versions. But yeah, I like Airdrop. Um, I want to talk just a uh, sidebar. Uh, we talked last week about Chuck von Rospach's uh, excellent long piece about um, where Apple was, and I, I tweeted something this week, which was. Um, after uh, I read, I think Wall Street Journal had a story. Chris Mims, who's written for years about how Apple is doomed. No, no, he's much more reasonable than that. But he he's the one who a few years ago, a couple years ago, wrote that Apple is probably going to drop its Macs. And I'm like, well, Ace can't drop yeah. the Macs because there's no development platform. But I, you know, I I also I don't feel like he's a contrarian. But he's he has uh, been bearish like a lot of people have for a long time because there's no. Uh, Profit as a writer, I mean that like in the um, not not like money, but no profit as a writer in promoting Apple as a bull and saying this is the best thing ever because then you're a fanboy and there's no interesting thing to talk about there. It's great. It's going to go on forever. And if you're more reasonable, people tend to ignore the opinion, unfortunately, because it's like, well, you know, whatever. But if you say Apple at the peak of its, you know, the height of its whatever is going to fail. People read that. There's like a car accident kind of thing about it. And even if you have a reasonable argument to make it. So Chris is reasonable. I'm not saying that. But I saw that and I thought I tweeted, hey, all you folks who've been writing Apple is doomed for the last 17 years or, or um, uh, Apple has lost its way for the last 17 years. Your time has come in 2017. <laughs> because yep. it feels like, you know, that broken record. And here's the hilarious part. Humble brag. Harry Shearer replied to me. Harry Shearer of The Simpsons. <gasps> no. And I don't follow him. He doesn't follow me. He's kind of a crank these days. Don't tell anybody. I don't um, care. He's allowed. He is awesome. Anyway, but and he said, but they're so thin. <laughs> 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 I was like, all right, I don't know where that came from, but there you go. So, oh, my uh, but, God. But I feel like that's what it is. You know, it's like a broken records for 16 years. Apple's doomed. Apple's doomed. Apple's doomed. Uh, and now, but I think, I think the Apple has lost its way argument has a lot 
of things going for it because uh, even the most dyed in the wool Apple fans have a lot of things that are bothering them. And Apple has been always been about removing friction. I feel like now my computing experience with Apple is pretty friction free right now because I've chosen, I haven't gotten into some of the cutting edge things. I wasn't buying the AirPods and then disappointed that I didn't get them or they shipped late or whatever. Um, I didn't get a new MacBook Pro yet. I, so all these things that are frictiony for people, uh, or even let's say the Apple TV, the fourth generation, you and I keep talking about that. Like I'm actually relatively happy with it. I don't think it's. I think TVOS needs a total overhaul, but I use it all the time, and I and I use it. It's not like it breaks or stops streaming. So I have probably a very not low friction, but I I'm sort of annoyed with its. Apple's decisions, but it's not affecting me. There are a lot of people out there who are prickly because they're being, you know, sandpaper running over their fingers all the time. Um, and so I think it's a, it's an interesting time when we will, we're going to see a lot of not Apple's the underdog. They have piles of money. They're massively profitable, but really they need to chart out a clear and new direction for themselves in which all this model things shipping late, things being confused, things not working, price cuts because they got the price wrong, um, all this stuff needs, I think, to be sorted out. And so I think it's a reasonable reasonable standpoint, 2017. So if you're writing about this for 17 years, now you can write about it and people will go, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, some of these upgrades are just a little hard to take. Like I was using my 11-inch MacBook Air this morning and I was like, oh man, I mean, the screen on this looks like crap compared to the new MacBook Pro, but the <laughs> keyboard is so nice. So like the space bar on my MacBook Pro has been sticking and it just doesn't matter like how much horsepower you have, like what resolution the screen is. If you can only type a space like, you know, two out of three times, like it's so annoying and it really- Wait, is this your new MacBook Pro? Yeah. No. The space bar sticks. I blasted oh. it with some air yesterday, yeah. and it's been better. But these but low you've travel, had it for two, yeah, three weeks. It's it's so new. Um, these low oh. travel keys, like I feel like they're just maybe more prone to sticking because if any little like thing gets in there, there's just not a lot of like room for error. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I mean, yep. I've, I'm not super precious with my computers. Like, I use them in bed. I'm eating chips, like, whatever. But, like, you know, I, I, I do try to keep it nice. I, anyway, so, yeah, it's been sticking. I blasted it with some air yesterday, and it's been a little better, but I don't know. I tweeted about it, and I heard some other people say that they had that problem, too. Um, but That's anyway, so, yeah, it's just, like, some of the – it's – if I was coming to it new, I wouldn't mind. And for, you know, like the mainstream chunk, it's fine. But like, yeah, like some, they, they just keep introducing these little problems that weren't there before. Like the headphone jack, I know I harp on it. And it's like, if you never had a phone with a headphone jack, you wouldn't care. But it's like, if it's, I had one and it was convenient and now I don't have one and it's inconvenient. So things like that are just, it's hard to be like a longtime fan and you want to upgrade because that's, you know, tech, theoretically like the best stuff and it is the best stuff but there's just all these little inconveniences that just seem like a kick in the pants every time so and then i think the criticisms um like the one chris mims talked about and the one we heard recently from uh uh, Mark Gurman about just like the division of labor inside Apple and how they might have problems sort of like scaling to, mm -hmm. to all these new things and they can't sort of keep all the balls in the air just because of the way the company is set up. And I know Chris Mims like compared it to, I think, uh, Amazon. I think it was Amazon. He's like every, you know, product that they make, like that's a business and that has its own leadership and profit right, and loss right. statement and everything. And 
And that's sort of how you can have all these different projects going on without one of them taking away from the others. Like we heard they were ramping up Project Titan, they're scaling back Project Titan, and it's like, you know, but we can't get a new Mac Pro. And this is this is frustrating to people. And then, you know, Apple's execs will come out and say, no, everything's awesome. Siri rocks. Like Phil Schiller was talking up Siri around the iPhone anniversary. And he's like, we're not afraid of Alexa. Everyone loves Siri. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I know you're supposed to say that and you're the marketing guy, but it's like, I just hope that there's people at Apple that are like, no, Siri isn't that good. (laughs) We need to fix it. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I just hope that everyone isn't so, I hope not everyone thinks that way. I think uh, they still are suffering from that notion that um, a few people need to make all the decisions top to bottom. Yeah, maybe. I mean, and, and that which, served them well before, so it's like it's it's tough. I know it's hard to break away, but I think that yeah, it's like I mean, that, I, I'll go back to what you said is that given um, or the recording that uh, that so many parts of Apple now could be their own separate giant technology companies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of astonishing what um, that there's so few pe- so few people making decisions. But I mean, I understand it, but it's like you're not a boutique. It's not like um, you. And I I think the complexity of it is. You know, we don't know enough about internal management, but we know what they expose the public and what people who talk on the inside say about it. And I don't know if it's so much a bottleneck as – the problem that, like Microsoft for a long time is there was an immobilization at lower levels. I did some consulting and contracting there and know a lot of people there. And this has now changed quite a bit as far as what I can understand. Um, but it used to be very much that you got in trouble for making decisions and you didn't get in trouble for not making decisions. And after a while, that adds up. It also used to be very hard to fire people, um, or to, and it was difficult even to move them around. So you had this very ossified thing, and nobody got in trouble for keeping the same thing in place instead of changing something. And you see what happened. You know, they fell vastly behind, and they had Balmer being the "let's not rock the boat" in chief person. Um, and they needed a big change, and they got it. And I think it's helped the company. Apple, I never thought of that way, but I think. People at lower levels, you keep reading about all these decisions happening at low levels where people are, um, they're not empowered enough to do some things, but they are making bad decisions about process, which lead to complication and confusion. And then they've had some obvious problems delivering on certain kinds of hardware pushes forward and manufacturing issues, and it all adds up. So, well, we'll see. Uh, let, let's go on to the battery issue, though, because I think it's something that Apple actually didn't get wrong, but somebody else did. Yeah, um, this is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, so a couple, a few weeks ago, Consumer Reports, uh, we talked about this not in the previous or the one before that. I've forgotten when uh, when the news came out. Consumer Reports did this, uh, did one of their tests on uh, the new MacBook Pros. And they tested three different models and they did battery testing and they got wildly divergent results on battery life using standard tests they'd used on other, ostensibly, the way they talked about it was a standard test they use. Um, on laptops to test battery life. And I think in you know, one run, they got like 14 and a half hours and then three hours and eight. It was something, I mean, the re- results were all over the place. And I also was incredibly dubious about the 14 and a half hour one. I was like, what Mac have you ever gotten 14 and a half hours of battery <laughs> life out? So I don't, I don't even understand how they did that. Uh, I'd like to know more about their methodology uh, at Apple. So, you know, uh, this, uh, this came out, they published their results and said they couldn't recommend, um, you know, based on what they'd, what they'd seen, they couldn't recommend it based on battery life. And now there was kind of an outpouring of confusion from the Mac community, including us. And uh, folks like Renee Ritchie at iMore had a lot of choice words to say, and John Gruber and Jason Snell and so forth. And uh, and we did as well. And uh, because 
the results were so divergent. Like if you're doing testing and you get results that are that divergent, you say, we did something wrong. Like either the device is really messed up, but then if you're looking around at other uh, sites and testing, not everyone is doing tests as uh, ri uh, rigorous and robust as Consumer Reports said they did. But still, it seemed really out of line. So if we, we talked about this, if we were in those circumstances, either we'd have rerun the tests and like broken them down, figured out what had happened, maybe reinstalled Mac OS and run tests using a stock configuration, uh, or we would have asked other people like, this isn't right. Are you seeing this? What can we do differently? And broken it down. Instead, they came out with a report that said, there's a problem with Apple's laptops. We don't know. And Apple, you know, almost immediately said, we'll work with consumer reports. We're concerned about this, but we're not seeing anything like this. So here's a statement out today. This is uh, January 10th. When we're recording this from Apple. I'll just read the whole thing because it's brief. We appreciate the opportunity to work with Consumer Reports over the holidays to understand their battery test results. We learned that when testing battery life on Mac notebooks, Consumer Reports uses a hidden Safari setting for developing websites, which turns off the browser cache. This is not a setting used by customers and does not reflect real-world usage. Their use of this developer setting also triggered an obscure and intermittent bug reloading icons, which created inconsistent results in their lab. After we asked Consumer Reports to run the same test using normal user settings, they told us their MacBook Pro systems consistently delivered the expected battery life. We have also fixed the bug uncovered in this test. This is the best Pro notebook we've ever made. We respect Consumer Reports, and we're glad they decided to revisit their findings on the MacBook Pro. Pretty classy statement. Less yeah. angry than one might expect. Very nice. Um, but yeah, so if you're uh, so folks, you know, if you if you're in uh, Safari, if you go to the preferences in Safari, you can in the advanced. Uh, preference uh, pane, you can check show develop menu in the menu bar. Now, I always have that display because it lets you do interesting things like disable caches and turn stuff off and look at, um, you know, uh, you bring up the web inspector and uh, test you can responsive. spoof other browsers. That's the main reason I always had it was to spoof other browsers. So if you do end up with a site that's like, oh, don't use Safari for this site, you're like, no, I want to use Safari. And you can go up and tell it that it's you're really using like IE10 or whatever. And the website will think like you're using IE10 and just proceed accordingly and you, you can still use Safari. So that's the reason I always had it turned on. But yeah, everyone I know has it turned on. Yeah, and I didn't even know there was a... Um, we're nerds. Oh, I guess, oh, I see. There's a disable caches menu which i guess you do if you're when you're testing and you want you don't want it to um pull a um cached page you yeah. want it to pull a fresh page so that makes but sense that would There's really mess up like any kind of like automated battery tests you're yeah. doing in your browser so if it's reloading the page every single time so i'm just i'm waggling my finger at them because i think this is on them when you have it like so what we we talked about this when we talked about it a few weeks ago is uh, you know, Macworld's policy has long been, I believe it still is, that if you have a result that's really divergent from what you expect and you're going to give a company a bad rating, that you get feedback. You give them information. You don't give them the chance to talk you out of it. You give them the chance to help you understand if you've done something wrong in testing or if you've uncovered a bug. So um, nearly a decade ago, I was testing some Apple airport base stations and uh, for, for Macworld, and I found a serious, horrible problem. And I talked to Apple, and I actually wound up talking with the product managers extensively, but boy, did I put a lot of time into that review because of these problems, like 20 hours probably because of Apple's flaw, and eventually we figured it out. There was a bug. I found it. They fixed it in a future release. It was an edge case. It wasn't going to affect most people, mm -hmm. so they didn't get dinged heavily for it, but um, they were able to identify it. They agreed that it was an actual bug, and then they fixed it, and I was able to do an update, and they tested it. So that, you know, and this happens all the time. I was testing... Um, uh, a USB-C dock 
and I got bad SSD read-write performance. So I talked to the company, gave them the model number of the drive I was using. They retested things, and eventually I worked out some details with the caching and so forth, was able to come up with a better solution. But I'm not just going to say this thing sucks, and we didn't bother to ask the company if there was some particular thing. Or the other one is you find that there is a problem, they admit it, they say they're going to fix it or not fix it, and you can tell users this works with 97% of the things on the market. But if you own a Western Digital whatever – don't buy it, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's the fair way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah, and like this this ended up okay. I mean, like I'm satisfied with how it wrapped up. It's just yeah. like the road to get here was really weird and awkward. <laughs> yeah, they announced it. I mean, I think I if I were, I mean, Consumer Reports, I'd have to go look at their exact words. I don't think they said, this is a terrible device, don't buy it. I think they said, we're withholding our recommendation because we don't think these results, these inconsistent results, there's something going on. I'm not sure I would have released that. I think I would have said, if I were in those shoes, said, we're unable to produce consistent testing results and we've been unable to isolate why. Until we can produce consistent testing results, we are uh, remaining neutral on this product. That seems to me to be more fair because in the end, we're finding it was a bug. However, it was a bug used in testing and they didn't back out this specific development thing they did. So it's kind of their fault, even though Apple had a bug. Yeah. And a bug got fixed, which is good. That's a weird bug, though. Yeah, that is. Caching is a weird thing. I was just testing uh, for um, some upcoming security columns that will appear soon. Testing some caching deletion. Um, yeah, caching ruins everything. It is a problem. Oh, I know what, one thing I wanted to follow up with with CES that I think is uh, probably a, a more general issue, too, is uh, Wi-Fi routers. Uh, Susie, there were more stuff coming out with uh, uh, yes. more mesh networking routing systems coming out of CES, right? Like Linksys had a new one that I think uh, – our friends at TechHive got an early uh, pre-review or pre-release version and tested. Yeah, they liked I think it. Had a, yeah. Uh, I've forgotten the name of it, but go to techhive.com. There, there's like seven different mesh networking systems out, and I think one is due in a couple weeks from a major maker too. So there's um, there's a ton of stuff coming out now. You've thought yeah, about switching. I'm really interested. Um, I just had to get a new uh, cable modem because Comcast went Doxus 3 and I was using a Doxus 2 modem and they've been bugging me about it for literally years. And then one day my internet didn't work and I freaked out and bought a new modem. So um, I have to get that set up. And that has me rethinking my whole network because it's run right out now off an of airport extreme and mm-hmm. like two airport expresses to extend it, I'm trying to get it out to the garage, but it's... Actually, there's only one Airport Express, but I can't really get a good signal in the garage. So anyway, hey, Susie, I'm thinking of you, going mesh. You know what's good about Doxus 3? Supports gigabit internet. Yeah, that's great. I mean, well, actually, Doxus 3.1, but I can't remember if the modem you got yeah. is probably Doxus 3.1. I, so yeah. you could have, I, I saw some 3.1. There's not a lot of 3.1 out there, but I was researching it just very briefly. And um, yeah, Comcast told me to get 3. Yeah, that's, gig- that's fine. I don't think it's available to me yet. Not yet. They're rolling it out, though. I think they have to they have to upgrade the um, systems to uh, Doxus 3.1 to make it available. And the pricing is – I don't think the, – the pricing has some really good introductory deals, uh, but they still have um, uh, monthly caps and so forth. But anyway, I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. But you will be able to get the speeds of which you've only dreamed at some point in the near future. Yeah, it's gonna, I'm interested to see if it makes a difference now. But Because um, I'm getting the speeds that I pay for. But anyway, so yeah, but I, I, it's making me rethink everything, and these mesh things might be the way to go. But you think they're going to come down? We, you, uh, Glenn actually just wrote, um, "Oh, wh- what if you want to replace your airport stuff, and Apple isn't making any new airport stuff? What do you do?" Kind of story. So we're going to post that this week, and um, 
Yeah, in in your writing of that, you thought you thought that the mesh networks were promising but too expensive. That's I think for a lot of people, it's a hard sell uh, because you can spend. $90 and get a really good airport extreme replacement like the uh, TP-Link Archer C7 is the one. There's a C8, but the C8 is more expensive and I don't think people seem to like it as much. Reviews aren't as good. Um, the C7 has gone through a couple revisions and it's it's $87 on Amazon. It is has essentially everything an airport extreme does but much more and costs almost half as much and it has kind of awesome coverage. It's 802.11ac. It's got gigabit internet. It's got USB printer sharing. I mean, everything. Um, I forget. The only thing that's bad about it is you have to use a web-based uh, administration tool, and the administration front end is kind of ugly, but you don't have to do that much setting to get it set up. And um, so if you're you know, if you want to replace a couple base stations, you get two of these and spend under $200 and you have to configure them both and together. Or you get one of these and a repeater, spend like $150 total. If you go with mesh, you're really talking $200 to $500 and $200 buys you like one, right? And so that's not really a mesh network. But <laughs> but but one can be good and you can add another one later. So it's the pricing is often like $200 for the first one and $150 or $100 in a bundle for the subsequent ones. And um, I don't know how many people are going to spend $300 to $500 to fix their network. I mean, I know there's a market out there. There definitely, there's, you know, there probably is uh, millions of people who would do that, but 10 or hundreds of millions of people have Wi-Fi networks worldwide. And I don't think this is a solution for that yet. But we're also seeing um, when you have, I think, like I said, seven companies, there's Eero and Lumi and, um, or Luma, and uh, uh, there's these startup companies and more startups coming. Then you have Linksys and Google and uh, Netgear has a thing that I think is not, uh, it's a two-device unit now that's not mesh, but they'll upgrade it to mesh. It's more like a repeater base station thing at the moment. So major companies and startups, and they're all pricing stuff in that like 300 to $500 range. So I wouldn't be surprised if that actually provokes the kind of thing we like, which is competition. And we see deals or specials or $100 off or whatever. Um, so if you're on the fence, you might want to wait just a little bit longer and see if the market corrects um, or if that's the natural price. I it, it, these things that can be expensive to make, but I think they're really trying to make them so high touch and consumer friendly that they're high margin. Um, because the idea, I don't think we mentioned this, the idea with mesh networking we've talked about in previous podcasts is uh, the devices all talk to each other to internetwork. So you don't connect them via ethernet. You just plug them in. And some of them have lights or tools that you, like a, a smartphone app, you walk around to place the additional um, units relative oh, to the first one. Oh, it'll tell you where to put, put them? Yes. And it oh, varies. that's yeah, awesome. It varies hugely, <laughs> though. That, I mean, because some of them, they're like, just plug them in wherever and they'll all find each other. Like, uh, I forget which model is, they're like $100 each and they expect you might have seven of them. Or, I mean, you might have not seven. You might have anywhere between three and, and literally seven. Um, some are even cheaper, I think, that are coming out. They're not shipping yet. And those are just like, throw them all around your house and walk away and you're done. Others are plug the first one, your cable modem or, or DSL or whatever, because you have to plug the base station into that. So that's your, that's a fixed point. Cause you can't, you know, unless you're going to run like a hundred feet of ethernet, that's where that's going. Then for the additional ones, you power them on, you plug them into something uh, or you plug them in and use a smartphone app. And one of them has like a light on it that, that blinks and it gets greener or um, shows you as you move it around optimal placement. The other, the smartphone app, you plug stuff in and it gives you advice and you move them. But um, not all of them offer that, but the ones that do, that's kind of cool. So it's trying to give you, so all the mesh nodes talk to each other, they reconfigure themselves and they're not as talky as the older 
system for intra-router communication called wireless distribution system that Apple supports, but it's very talky. It slows down the network um, enormously. It has a lot of issues with it. In this case, the mesh nodes only signal to each other as necessary, and so it, it keeps... Uh, and they can vary power as well. So you can have... Um, they'll they'll automatically adjust themselves to use as much power up to a maximum, of course. They're not going to fry you. Don't hold your potatoes in front of them to uh, cook them. Uh, <laughs> that won't work. But I want to cook potato. Just put it in foil and stick it on top. Uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm excited about net networking because it's been something I've been covering Wi-Fi for 17 years, 16 years. And mesh has been talked about for a large part of it. And it started as an enterprise technology. And it was uh, there were earlier consumer flavors that just didn't pull it off. And now it seems like it's arrived it's something for consumers and the companies want to cash in on their huge investments in it and um, make some money. But as I say, the price will drop. And there's a big difference between if you have a network that mostly works and you have dead spots, you could drop in an inexpensive repeater or replace your airport express Susie with a newer device that has 802.11ac and higher power radios or something. And you can just do that and you don't have to rebuild your network. If you're moving to a new place or you're, you have one base station, most of your house isn't covered or you're just completely unhappy with what you have, then you just, you know, donate all that stuff to a school or a nonprofit, which would be happy to have it since it still works and, uh, and uh, get some new system. One part of this article, by the way, as you will, folks, you'll see when you read it, is that I spent a, I spent a chunk of it talking about what Apple used to have as an advantage because a lot of people still have in their mind they need an Apple base station because Apple marketed so well unique features that no longer are unique or are supported. So that's a chunk of it kind of disabusing you of the things that you need to worry about in getting a replacement. Have so. you ever had to call for like service, like internet, you know, like call Comcast or something because it's not working and they ask ask you like if you're using a Mac or a PC and you tell them you're using a Mac and they try to like blame that. Oh, <laughs> they yeah, try yeah, to like, always. oh, well, yeah, I don't know if it works with Macs. You're like, it works with Macs. Come on. Just I fix it. I don't it's know the if it worst. works with yeah, Macs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because like a long time ago, didn't people sort of think or it was harder or something about like networking Macs like was intimidating to people. And yeah, they were like, well, oh, yeah. if you're using Macs, like all bets are off. Well, they're always like, well, unplug it from your router and plug your computer in directly to your cable modem. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, that's, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So what's the next thing? <clears throat> and I don't get that. You don't get that anymore. Now, I will say, nice thing yeah, about Sense, my uh, fiber internet provider, so I had to drop it in, gigabit internet. Everybody um, drink. Everybody um, They, uh, I have not had to call them for service in the... 13, 14 months I've had the service. It, the phone part of it went down once for a couple days, which is ridiculous. Um, they probably got dinged by the State Utilities Commission because they phone service is separately regulated. The internet part, I don't think it's ever gone down. Maybe it has. I don't remember. And I've never had to call them for tech support about anything. It's the weird. I don't, I've never had internet service in the, I first got full-time internet service in 1997 via DSL. So 19 years, I have never had an ISP. I haven't had a call at least once every few months because of a network or a connection problem. So knock, I'm knocking wood right now. I'm knocking on my internet. It's knocking weird. They're a small company. Routers. I wish they were, I, I'm surprised how well they run the fiber side because they run the rest of their business pretty badly. We're Seattle's actually in this, in this, um, 
burst of fiber right now. Apparently, there's other companies coming in because we were very undercovered. We had very low speed relative to some other cities uh, of the size. Um, and so there's a lot of coverage now, different competing firms or companies, uh, some cable companies that are that are putting it in. And you have uh, Comcast using the uh, coax standard to bring in gigabit, but um, still at a much you know higher level than you get before. So Seattle, a city of the future. Um, speaking of the future we should talk about the past 10th anniversary of the iPhone introduction oh yeah and Apple celebrated it which is very oddly sentimental from them yeah what what all did they do they just put up a a page they put out a press release they put up a page but even for them that's kind of that's actually sort of funny Uh, now I don't remember you were at the announcement right I was I took notes on paper with a pen I was too. Our, our friend John Moltz uh, reminded me that he was there. It was his first Mac World. He was sitting next to me. I'd forgotten this until he mentioned it. And he said, is, are, are all Mac Worlds like this? <laughs> I was like, this is probably going to be the peak. I don't think I said that, but it was pretty high point. Um, and then after the thing, I, didn't, I was uh, It was writing, my first Mac World. It was my was second Steve keynote in my first Mac World. I'd gone to a few, but not many. I think this might have been my, I don't know, my third My first one was the, Mac, the Intel Mac Pro. Because I remember oh, how yeah. crazy they went when they mentioned that, that the, the riser cards had thumb screws that like didn't fall out and rattle to the bottom of your case, and you'd have to tip your case over and fish them out. Oh, they were like, "We yeah. made thumb screws that will never fall out," and everyone They're was like, spring-loaded, "Yeah!" Spring-loaded and I was thumb like, screws. "Yay, nerds!" nerds. Um, <laughs> I was so I, happy. <laughs> I was I like, went "My after, people." <laughs> I had a briefing after the keynote, and I was writing at the time. I was uh, as a freelancer, I was writing the Seattle Times Mac column, and um, I thought. Well, I'm sure they'll tell me about it. And I go in there and they let me play with an iPhone, you know, and I was like, cause they were, you know, New York times, whatever. And Seattle times was not treated as a chief publication. And I got to meet with, uh, Jaws, uh, Mr. Jaws, and, um, or Jaws Wiak, and, uh, got to play with the phone for like uh, 20 minutes or something. Nice. And it was pretty astonishing. I was like, you're not going to, uh, can I do anything? And they're like, yep. I'm like, oh my God. It was and, so um, much easier to get access back then, Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, you know, the company we was still like in the- We brought like the whole staff to that keynote. Like I was the managing editor oh, yeah. and they were like, can we bring the managing editor? And they're like, sure. We had everybody there and we were doing print. So we had to write like two stories that would be published like two weeks later. It was um, it was amazing. It was a time in which Apple was less. I mean, two thousand seven. There was still a doubt about Apple's long term viability, even yeah. though they were profitable, um, because they had the Intel transition was underway. It had started the previous year, right? Two thousand six is when they started to ship uh, units in yep. earnest, yeah. and there was like a Wi Fi transition, a processor transition, a developer architecture transition, um, and then they came out with this thing, and everyone's like, "Oh no, Apple's coming out with a phone." They're going to fail. BlackBerry and Microsoft own the market. And oh my gosh, there's no keyboard on it. But the iPod was still kicking butt. And people were like, what if the iPod was also a phone? And like that, just that possibility was just so intriguing on its own. And then they went ahead and also made the phone like a little pocket web browser. And that blew everybody's mind. I remember the demo when he was like, okay, you can look something up in this like full web browser. Oh my God, it was full screen. Yeah, yeah. It'll show you, because we had those terrible like, uh, whip, yeah, yeah. It was, it was uh, I can't wireless internet. Was, I can't. But whip was like I think it was whip. It was a protocol that would take a web page and deconstruct it into a terrible little mobile. It was like text version. messaging you web pages, basically, oh. is what it felt like. It was so terrible. 
Um, and yeah, he's like, okay, so you can look something up on this full graphical, full screen web browser. And he looked up the Starbucks and he's like, see, look, there's their phone number. Watch what happens when I tap it. Like, you don't have to try to memorize it and then go punch it in. Like, I'll just tap the phone number and it'll call Starbucks. He called Starbucks and they answered and he ordered like 5,000 lattes and he giggled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, gi- he giggled like a little kid and then One hung the up. Times. And yeah, I've never, I don't think I'd ever seen him like that no, delighted. And that was, was what sweet. stuck with me after all these years was just. I- Hearing Steve Jobs like giggle. That was a great keynote. He was really at his top of his form, and it was really he was having a good time, and it was a great product, and he knew I, it. He knew it was good. Yeah, he knew it was good, and he knew how good it was, and he knew that it, we were gonna love it. Here's the thing, and I I don't credit myself with any foresight because I thought it was gonna be a product that. I, well, okay, it so was so expensive. I was like, no one's gonna so buy it. It was so expensive, and I wrote a piece for the New York post of all things i get a call from a friend of a friend (laughs) who said hey in june before the things shipped and said hey we understand you got access to a phone i'm like well no i used it for half an hour 20 minutes during a demo (laughs) and they said that's great can you write up something about your impressions of it and i'm like yeah but i gotta say whatever oh yeah okay so i wrote this thing and they paid me i don't know like 600 bucks which was great can use the money in 2007. The economy is collapsing, right? Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, and they ran it and they edited it without That's enough total to buy the phone. Like you can buy became, the phone. Yeah, it was sort of exactly. It. And so they edited it and it ran. Um, and uh, I've never been the subject of so much like fanboy fervor about how wrong I was. But my base, I have to go look it up again at some point. But year, I looked it up years later. And I was like, you know, I, it, they made it more negative and they made it sound like it, I'd had access to a phone. They kind of smoothed out the fact that I hadn't tested one. But, um, but, but the general gist was don't buy this version because this thing is the prototype and you want one that actually, you know, in six months or a year, this would be much better. And that, of course, kills products when you tell people that because yeah. they never get to the next one. It was but, on I mean, it was, edge and everyone was mad that it was on edge. Like oh, that, was, was, so that was an actual and, problem but, that it was on but edge. But 3G, uh, if it had used 3G then, it would have had like one hour battery life. Yeah, like yeah. all the 3G phones that were out were terrible. People hated them. And the usual... Apple situation, people say, we hate these 3G phones, but why isn't yours 3G? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Why doesn't it have flash, right? Yeah. Right, was... Like, oh my God, you know how bad this is. <laughs> so, but six months before the iPhone announcement, Jeff Carlson and I collaborated on an article for a publication called Macworld. I may have mentioned this in a previous podcast that Doomed. was looking at all of the smartphones, uh, all of the smartphones in the market and how they work with Macs. So we went through. Oh yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah, so we did this huge, you know, back in the print days, we did like a 13 page feature or something. And we tested, um, I don't think we were able to test Symbian because there were no good models in the US. So it was Nokia's uh, a smartphone system, like which Palm was considered. And Blackberry. And... One of the, uh, Palm, Blackberry, and um, and Windows Mobile, which was, I, and actually after writing the article, I almost bought a Windows Mobile phone. Because it was the most, I thought it was the most advanced, consistent thing that matched my needs. And you could get conduit software from, a, uh, I forget which company, they're not around anymore, maybe, that would let you plug it into uh, OS X contacts and or now up to date and things like that. Yeah, right? yeah. And I thought, well, I'll get one of these because I have a friend who has a really good one and whatever. And then the rumors started coming. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to get it. I'm just going to wait. I'll keep my dumb phone because... I'm not going to buy a eight X hundred dollar phone and be locked in, and then Apple comes out with theirs. So, um, uh, so Jeff and I had just gone through this. So when when Steve did his announcement, he and I are at MacWorld, and we're like, uh, like we knew everything he was saying was absolutely true because we just tried all the awful 
top-of-the-line market stuff that was out there. So when the web browsing, to me, I, I think I thought, I mean, in retrospect, I tell myself I thought this, web browsing to me was the killer app. Like you mm -hmm. saw him doing the Starbucks thing. Forget everything else. Other people were like, well, you can't type with it and you can't an email. And I'm like, no, 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 no. no the thing is, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, when you, it's like, I know you can't type immediately as fast. Like glass is never going to be as good as actual keys. And I think we've seen that even years and years later. It's still, I think people can type. It's a lot like, better. Yeah, but now people they can, can type like give you a little buzz a and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, now I mean, people people type like a hundred words per minute on a BlackBerry keyboard, right? Yeah. I mean, people could do it's that. It's not it was like crazy. that. But you know, I use one of those swipey like things. That I use Google uh, Gboard, which I, I've got gotten addicted to. Google's Gboard as a keyboard. And import. the prediction's gotten so much better. Yeah, like so I, I just sort of mash fast. away at it, and it comes out okay. Exactly. Like I've actually realized I've stopped learning. I don't know how to spell words anymore. But so the introduction, I, I think my recollection was, and my memory of what I did when I was in the briefing with the phone in my hand was testing browsing. The other stuff I was like, oh yeah, you know, other phones do calendars, other phones do this. None of them are as responsive. Like even the, the visual of, voicemail was like mind blowing oh, too. Jesus, that's true. Cause that like was being huge. able to listen to your voicemail out of order and listen to the most important, like see who called oh, and be geez. like, I got a voicemail from Glenn. I have 10 voicemails, but one of them's from Glenn and I only want to listen to that one. Like that was like so no, you're game totally changing. Right. You're totally right. But like those are the things. And so I think at the time, most of the people who understood the phone industry criticized the iPhone because they it didn't do the right things that phones did. And it was AT&T only. It had a lot yeah, of kind of like quirks. Network I think crap. you were right to tell people. Like I didn't, I got the second one and I was engaged during 2007. So it, it they announced it in January. They shipped it in June. I got married in September. Yeah. And I remember that whole year thinking like, oh, how much easier would this be if I had a little pocket communicator yeah. and email and web browser <laughs> I could carry around on my phone? Because there was no App Store yet. App Store didn't come for another year. So it was just like what Apple had baked in, but that still seemed like so useful to me. And I had like a flip Motorola razor and yeah, I just, you know, suffered through and it was fine and I'm still married. But um, it, yeah, I was just like, wow, that has so much potential just, <laughs> just out of the box, like with Listeners, no apps. she married that iPhone. <laughs> uh, iPhone 3G was introduced in, oh yeah, I was trying to remember, it was a it was released. I think if uh, I left my husband for the iPhone, he would understand. Oh, that's, oh is that like the list, like the, um, the the friends thing, the list of people, and it has um, yes, my um, list, my free Isabella list. Rossellini. Isabella Rossellini. Isabella um, Rossellini. So Isabella Rossellini uh, is the top of uh, of um, what's his face is of Ross's list, oh, Ross's and he's list, at the right. coffee shop, and he's taken her off the list because of something else, like some deal with Rachel or whatever. And Isabella Rossellini walks in, and he has this conversation with her, and she says, "I want to see the list." And he pulls it out, and she's been crossed out. And she's like, no, then. So it's a good bit. Poor Friends. Ross. But, uh, all right, so let me do a musical sting here and move on. Golden uh, Girls the, is coming to Hulu. <laughs> I see that uh, One Day at a Time is back on Netflix. There's a new version of it, just speaking of old TV series. There's a very funny show on Netflix called Chewing Gum. It's oh, all... All, I have Netflix again, so I can watch it. So iPhone 3G, I'm sorry, this is where I, I got us off, is um, it came out a year later. So if I recall right, the original iPhone was priced at the ridiculous price, which a lot of us paid, including me. Then Steve Jobs said, we're dropping the price hugely, and all right, I'll give you a loser. Gift cards. A gift cards. <laughs> you gave us all some money. And then the 3G came out with uh, a year gift later. Gift cards so, of pity. But my, my recollection is there was no revision. The iPhone had one model, isn't that right, until mm -hmm. the 3G came out. That was the second model released yeah. a year later. It went and plastic the on the back. It was like a total yeah. refresh. It was That's a little right. more so, cur like curved on the back. The back wasn't as flat. The original one is really like good looking. 
Yeah, I like it was it. much much cheaper because you could get it uh, for one hundred dollars, the starting price with the two year contract. So instead of paying what was it like five hundred or six hundred bucks, I for think the, it was uh, two hundred. I, I paid two hundred forever. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the yeah. Sorry, the original release. You're right. It's a hundred dollars a year later. They charge us. They usually do. The slogan was the iPhone you've been waiting for, which is what I said in that post article. People need to wait for that one. Uh, but I bought it and I enjoyed having it for the first year because I could write about it. So. Happy 10th anniversary of iPhone introduction. Interesting they're celebrated at the introduction anniversary, not the release. But I think because of the pricing and all that, it might have been a better idea to celebrate the introduction, which was more exciting than all the people in lines and you know, <laughs> things being sold out and the feeling they overpaid and they're getting a refund. Uh, there will not be a 10th anniversary celebration of the gift card rebate announcement. Yeah, right. Um, a couple other things going on. Oh, I mentioned Altaba earlier just in passing. So Yahoo has sold its website operations to Verizon. That's all closing apparently despite all the security stuff. So the the thing is uh, the remaining part of uh, Yahoo will own Alibaba and Yahoo Japan stock that is worth billions of dollars. It's basically now like a holding company. Um, and uh, that renamed itself to Altaba. So the joke was it sounded like Yahoo – was renaming itself to this ridiculous name, uh, which sounds like Alibaba, but it's Altaba. Um, and it's really, alt this Alibaba. is Alt Alibaba. Exactly. This is just the holding company, and Marisa Meyer will won't be involved in it, which isn't surprising because it was expected after the uh, acquisition completed she wouldn't be involved. And also, one of the founders, David Filo, was still on the board of Yahoo, and the new company will have. Um, five members instead of 11 because again it's just a basically managing this giant horde of stock and cash uh and he uh, won't be involved there anymore i think i can't remember if jerry yang uh didn't mention him i forgot if he was still on the board or not Maybe so the yahoo like sites and services aren't going away those are right. going to verizon and they're staying as yahoo Yahoo. Dot, yeah i think it's a yahoo.com okay. will be and all the other sites will be at verizon and um, I'm nervous okay. about Flickr. Oh, a good plug for another article. Uh, Roman uh, Loyola had me write a piece about if you want to migrate all your photos out of Flickr, how do you do it? Um, because you might be concerned that Flickr would go away suddenly or you don't want to be part of Yahoo after I mean, all Yahoo's of its password breaches. Yahoo's had some big breaches, breaches lately. So, yeah, a lot of people are leaving. We had an article about leaving Yahoo behind, um, yeah. like getting rid of your other Yahoo services, but it left out Flickr for some weird reason and someone pointed that out to me. So thank you, person. And we wrote a separate article that just dealt with Flickr, getting your your data and your photos out of Flickr and getting them into iCloud Photo Library or Google Photos. Yay! So, Turns you, out your choice. Getting it, getting it out <laughs> is awful. So I, when I wrote that, I thought, well, my recollection is that there's a good export tool in Flickr, and so they must have made it better over the years. Unfortunately, no. So you can't export any of your metadata. Um, you can only export your original uploaded data. So uh, if you've been tagging, if you uploaded photos to Flickr for years and years, which I did for a while before switching to upload from apps, I would upload them directly. And you tag them, you wrote descriptions, uh, put titles on them, whatever. You can't export any of that using the Flickr export system. There used to be a lot of third parties that took advantage of Flickr's API, uh, third-party apps. And I checked them, and none of them are supported anymore. Some might Aww. work. Some require, like, compiling software. So in the end, I don't feel like I could recommend, like, unsupported or, um, you know, low-level software to people. There may be someone might come out with a better tool because it's not um, – Flickr would allow its API to be used for that. But for now – when you export, it's a pain to export. It requires a lot of babysitting. You're downloading giant zip files. Um, I have 35, 
six gigabytes of information at Flickr. And I still wasn't, I did all these multiple downloads and it's just a, it, it's a broken system that barely works to export, um, but you can do it. And if you have fewer images than I, probably better, but you will lose everything you entered in there. Um, uh, the flip side, which I mentioned in the article, is that because of all the object and facial recognition in Google Photos and uh, Apple's photo ecosystem, uh, you probably won't miss the keywords as much as you used to. And you know, you also you can um, I recommend dividing stuff into albums so you could download export as albums and recreate albums, of course. Uh, but you'll also lose the descriptions. And if you've been writing descriptive text, you'd have to go through and like one window have the Flickr image and the other have like photos and just copy and paste and keep shifting between the two windows. And as horrible as it sounds, that's the only way right now. Thanks, Yahoo. Thanks, yeah. Altaba. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's our... Uh, so a couple other just brief things. Uh, Susie's, uh, you've been editing this series of um, security columns I wrote of the like, what if you woke up one day in your country and you were a dissident or you suddenly decided your government did not have your best interests at heart and I'm not mentioning again any particular country. People felt that way uh, for the last eight years. Some people will feel that way for the next X years. Some people feel that way all the time in certain countries. So it's not exactly a political issue. It's more like positionally how you feel in relationship to your private information and who might make illegal use of it, whether governmental uh, or uh, criminal or, you know, jilted uh, domestic partner or something like that. So uh, that's the good news is most of the stuff you can do to prevent unwarranted government intrusion can also protect you against criminals and um, other sorts of attacks that you don't want. So uh, we'll have a bunch of those this week. You can find those. Um, but related to that, you saw that Apple uh, removed the New York Times app in the China App Store. Yeah. That's a uh, – I kind of understand why they did it, but it's sort of disturbing too. Um, it's very disturbing. I, I don't really know like what to say about this kind of stuff, but, um, Oscar just did a video where he's like, Apple should like, you know, be a little more transparent about where these requests came from and like Mm -hmm. why they did this and like why they think this is okay. Because like, yeah, that's just, it's not, it's not cool because the New York times has done like, you know, a lot of critical reporting on, the government of China and also Apple in China. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, what, what, what is really the, the impetus behind this? And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, as a journalist, it doesn't make me happy at all. Yeah. I mean, Google left China and runs out of Hong Kong for Chinese customers. Basically, I think Google has, still has almost no or zero presence in China yeah. when they felt like they couldn't, um, when they were going to be asked to censor. And Apple's argument has been often, you know, we, we abide by, the law and the countries in which we do business and we're constantly evaluating whether we you know what we're being asked is something we can do. Yeah. Right. And so would they, they can't, Apple is too deeply embedded in China to withdraw and China knows that, but also China knows that if it pushes too hard, it's going to cause not just international incidents, um, especially with the Trump administration who's been proven you know, ahead of time to be very critical of China, much more so. I mean, the Obama administration and the, the uh, George W. Bush administration, both, um, raised significant issues with China about encryption and um, uh, other uh, issues related to um, control of markets and so forth. So, you know, smartphone and mobile and so forth. So, um, in fact, under Bush, my recollection is China was trying to uh, push an alternative to the Wi-Fi security that they wanted that was basically assumed to be a backdoor technology and they wanted it to be alongside other other versions like uh, WPA and uh, 
Colin Powell directly, uh, Colin Powell uh, spoke out against that very specifically uh, at one point. Um, so China knows that if it pushes too hard, it winds up um, not getting the advantage it wants as well. Leah, uh, our managing editor, was actually just in China over yeah. Christmas, and she brought a burner phone. She didn't want to bring her own device, wise, so she brought. Wise. She brought. Well, except she brought a burner Android phone and didn't really realize that Google Maps was not a thing in China. Like it's oh just my gosh, doesn't really exist. Yeah. And so everyone was using either uh, I think Baidu Maps, which was all in Chinese, so not super helpful, or mm-hmm. Apple Maps. Everyone had iPhones, and everyone was using Apple Maps, and that was like the one oh thing. Oh my! Yeah, oh and my. I, I was trying to tell her like to bring a burner iPhone, like. We could just, you know, re reinstall like a you know a, a clean install of iOS, and then she could, you know, have burner accounts. She could have like a burner iCloud account or something, and just set it up for this one trip, and then come back and and put all her like original data back on. Um, if she was worried about you know data security. But yeah, we just we kind of just did that on, on, with an Android phone instead because we have so many Android phones in the office. So mm-hmm. little short sighted. If you're going to China, like. I burner phone good, but make sure it's an iPhone if you can. If you can, I mean, because it was easy for her to buy a SIM card and like have data, but then she didn't have like the right apps to like use with that data. She didn't have a good oh mapping solution. Yeah, I forget about that. I mean, I w- that's the thing is I have not traveled outside the country for a while, and um, I would be bringing burner devices, but I hadn't thought about that. Just, I'll just learn Chinese before I go. That'll that would solve it, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, because like the new iPhones, it's you know. It's always tough if you're going to buy a SIM card for a phone, it has to be unlocked. And if you buy the, you know, if you bought a phone with a subsidy, it has, it's probably locked to your carrier. You got to get your carrier to unlock it. It's a big pain in the butt. So, mm-hmm. uh, one more thing. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Russia has also, after this happened, Russia asked for LinkedIn app to be removed from the Apple and Google app stores. And, you know, part of me, and I'm, this is, I shouldn't make fun of, uh, freedom of speech and so forth. But I'm like, well, God, I wish the United States would ask for LinkedIn to be removed because, you know, anyway, you know, how many times did you have to opt out? Actually, since Microsoft bought an, uh, bought LinkedIn, I no longer have to, to uh, click like 700 times to get off LinkedIn opt-in emails, right? Um, that was, did you, didn't you get oceans of those? Of LinkedIn, LinkedIn? emails? Yeah, would yeah. they be like, so-and-so has asked you part of the network and you click a thing that says never ask me mm-hmm. to whatever. And I clicked that so many times after Microsoft bought LinkedIn, I stopped getting those. So yeah. there you go. But uh, another, I mean, it's, uh, LinkedIn is a professional network thing, but people also publish in LinkedIn. They publish mm-hmm. stories and things. Um, I don't usually see links to that stuff, but um, Russia asked that to be removed. So that's a little more... Uh, it might have That's to do with weird. protecting. Well, it might be protecting local industries too. There might be. A, there's a lot of um, Russian companies that compete with U.S. offerings, and that oh, might I be guess. one thing. Uh, final thing, just tiny note: we saw that uh, there may be some new iPad models coming in the spring, which is an unusual time uh, for years now for iPad models to come because those had shifted. Am I right? To the, the September. October timeframe was my recollection. They used to come in the spring and then they were shifted. They're kind of all over the place. Yeah. Is that like right? the, for a couple of years, they did iPhones in September and then iPads in October. But then the big iPad Pro came out last spring. Yeah. It's, it's, they're all over the place. Or the, the, this big iPad Pro came out last like December and then the smaller one came out in the spring. 
Um, oh, okay. I lost track of that. But the but... weird thing about this rumor isn't even just the timing. It's the the sizes. So this is saying like three different sizes. So a new big iPad, like a new 12.9-inch version, which, okay, that makes sense because that hasn't been refreshed yet. And it's it, been a it little have, over a year. It doesn't have True Tone, which is the big thing for yep. the smaller iPad Pros. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So they, they could do something with that. And then the smaller one, an upfresh, but then they were going to put one in the, in the middle. So one like that's between the 9.7 and the 12.9, I think they were saying like 10 point something. And that just doesn't seem like there's, it doesn't seem like there's enough like room in there to really need another size. No, so it, they, that they was what I was the most dubious yeah. about. Yeah. And then they like they might not so even well, refresh the iPad mini at all. Well, yeah, with the iPad, I mean, I wonder the iPhone 6 plus or six, seven, sorry, 7 plus doesn't, um, or 6 plus doesn't really, uh, replace the iPad mini, but I wonder if it sucked out a lot of sales. Like I wonder if once the plus was released, it dropped mini sales for people who had a, um, you know, uh, an, a smaller size phone. Not, I mean, I don't know what we call the sizes anymore. The flagship smaller size, not an SE, not a plus the regular size one. Um, so I wonder if that just cut demand so much it cannibalized the mini. Yeah, they maybe. said maybe we don't need to refresh it as much. Well, the mini, the iPad mini, I feel like is you're not going to do, it's sort of just a fun thing. So if you're really like serious about working on an iPad and making it, you know, like a MacBook replacement or getting serious stuff done, you're probably going to go for a bigger screen. And maybe that's why they're introducing or they're, you know, the rumor to be introducing um, new sizes sort of in that end because they're pushing them as, you know, uh, a machine that you can get stuff done on. Whereas the iPad mini, I feel like that's just kind of like you want the cheapest iPad available because you want to have it around for like reading and videos and like fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And then that doesn't need to be refreshed because like it just, it's, I mean like new people who are going to buy it want a new one, but it's not like you're going to get a new one like every two or three years. Like you're going to keep that thing until like your kid throws it in the toilet and it <laughs> dies forever. <laughs> exactly. As long as it'll still run the OS, like you know, the, oh, it doesn't you know need... Do you see people posting photos of their iPhone, the original iPhones still running? It was pretty cool. Yeah, yesterday. I mean, my original uh, iPad is still running. And my kid mentioned the other day that the iPad mini had been in the toilet. And I was like, what? You didn't say that. I thought he meant like just now. And I'm like, oh, how? I think I asked my husband. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Oh, oh, how oh, wet did it ago? get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, how wet did working. it get? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, Chris just said that the iPad was in the toilet. Like, how did it fall in? And and he's like, uh, I don't know. And we asked Chris and he's like, oh, no, it was like before Christmas. But it still works. Yeah, he just hadn't mentioned awesome. it. Awesome! Oh, that's so funny. I mean, it's, funny. it's in a pretty rugged case, but I mean, I would have taken yeah. it out of the case and made sure yeah, that yeah. it like dried properly. He just never said anything. Oh my gosh! He's like, uh, I thought you would be mad, and then I had a big talk with him about how I'm really mad that he didn't say anything, and yeah, Kid, uh, kids. I, uh, we sold our original. I, I sold my original iPad to. Gosh, I sold. I had to buy two. I had to. I had to buy two iPads when they came out because I bought the original Wi-Fi only one to write about. Then I bought the Wi-Fi Plus Cellular to own. I sold the Wi-Fi one to, I think, my next-door neighbor, who I believe she's still using it. Maybe she upgraded to a computer. She's elderly and um, and savvy, and uh, her, her stepson helps her, has helped her with it. But I think she may be using it with a keyboard stand still. I nice. forgot to ask her. Um, the, and then the, the next iPad I sold to someone else because I got an iPad – you know, another one that I got an iPad four as a gift, which I still have. And now we have an iPad pro, the smaller size one. Um, and I don't think any of them, all of them are still running the iPad two. We still have, no, that's right. The iPad two, we still have 
it's still working. They run forever. So that's five iPads in the family and or six, five, and they all are still functional to the best of my knowledge. I mean, they don't take as much abuse as a phone no, does. No, but still, they're bigger but though. Still. If they fall, they, they don't take as much abuse, but when you drop it because the screen is bigger, is more chance for it, I think, to break um, if it hits something, something sharp. Well, on that note, don't break your iPhones, don't break your iPads, folks. It's a I bad hope that idea. they do release iPads in the spring because that would be another. We need an event between now and WWDC. Otherwise, like the Apple calendar is just barren until WWDC in like June. I'm so really curious what's going to happen. They should do at something WWDC in the spring, and then they do yeah. WWDC, and then we have iPhones and stuff in the fall. I think that's a good calendar. So make it happen. I agree. Well, uh, I think we've hit the limit of what we can possibly discuss this week. And uh, we always wonder if we have too little and then we spend an hour Way talking about it. Way too much, always. So, folks, next week, Susie will be off next week. I'll be here. And I'll be here with Jonathan Zajarski, uh, maker of Little Flocker, the amusingly named Little Flocker. And uh, so remember, you can send questions, podcast at macworld.com or Glenn F, G-L-E-N-N-F on Twitter, uh, Carrier Pigeon, um, Ping, whatever system you want to use. Send us a message and uh, we'll get back to you. So, Susie, great to talk to you and have a great week off next week. Thank you. I'm excited. And uh, I have been and remain Glenn Fleischman, your host. And this has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 541 for January 11th, 2016. We'll talk to you again next week.